0: Um, as we've tracked through this series, we've, we've kind of seen that Jonah is, uh, what's the word that we would use? Stupid. Jonah's dense. Jonah has trouble. Jonah doesn't, no matter how hard God presses in, no matter how hard God shows up, no matter how hard God tries to teach him, Jonah just has, to this point, he's not gotten the point he hasn't figured it out. And that's what we're wrestling with. And that's what we're trying to navigate through. And so today, as we get to the end of the text, we got to have some hard conversation. And if you're visiting today, then I'm going to say to you, hi, I'm glad you're visiting. Um, and this is maybe a good week for you to visit because we're just going to be about as bluntly, brutally honest as we can be today. Okay. Um, guys, here's the deal. We kind of have this trouble. We talk about Jonah, um, and we 've been tracking through Jonah this whole series, but we are no different than Jonah. And there are too many times where we just don't get the point. And so i 'm going to say some things today they 're going to sound mean. Um, but here 's the deal. Because I want you to remember as I say them, like I 'll say this now, and you 'll be like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." but no, no, no. so here's the deal. Um, a lot oh man, I think I broke Jenny 's mirror. Sorry, Jenny although it was held together by a thumbtack, so maybe. That's Malia's. Perfect. <laughs> that makes me feel a lot better, honestly. Can you? I want this. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put this right here, and the reason I'm going to put this right here is because sometimes it's really, really easy for us to think as we do this that I'm not talking to you. That I'm talking about some other mythical Christian. Maybe they're here, maybe they're not, but listen to me. I want you to know very carefully, with no judgment, I'm talking to you today. And then I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put this one right here. That's going to be really hard for you guys. I'll put it right here. And it's just going to remind you and remind me, because it's facing me. I'm, I'm talking to me today too. And we, I mean, I'm always talking to me the same time I'm talking to you, but because today we might say some things that will ruffle your feathers, I want to make sure that we understand that this is for you personally and specifically, and it's for me personally and specifically. Because we can't read a book like Jonah where the whole point is that he doesn't get the point and it's meant to teach us a lesson, and we can't sail through there and get to this place where it's like, okay, all of a sudden we miss the point. And it's not good enough, and it's not okay. So, Those are there, and uh, maybe I'll remind you that they're there. Maybe you'll just look up, and you'll see that it's there. But I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to me, and we can't miss the point. All right. Last Christmas, I got a present from my brother. You know what it said? I'll show you. It's a T-shirt. I wore it because I want you to know. I actually got two T-shirts. The first one said, world's okayest brother. And he gave it to me and he said, Hey, I really mean that. (laughs) But then I got this one that says, if you can tell, it says, I'm mom's favorite. (laughs) And I like to think it's true. (laughs) But the reason that, that I was thinking about that as we were getting ready for this week's message is very simply this we all like to be the favorite we may not say it that way. We may not try to understand it in terms of, oh, well, we're the favorite and we know it. But what we do is we try to act like we're the favorite. And when we act like we're the favorite, I see some siblings sitting together that are kind of looking at each other. Yes, Sarah, Eric is their favorite. He knows. Um, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The point is we, we like to be the favorite because when we're the favorite, we get special stuff, right? We get special treatment. We get special accolades. When we're the favorite, here's the thing. We like the special stuff maybe that comes with it, but we also like maybe the, the, the looser requirements, And when we're the favorite, we like the looser um, kind of restrictions. And when we make a mistake, we like maybe to have that mistake winked and nodded away. And, And that's the way that it works. And so my brother always thought I was the favorite because I got in less trouble than he did. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is I was a better kid than he was. He's probably not listening. But if you are, Mike, I want you to know I really mean that. But the idea is this. Okay, listen, in all seriousness, the idea is this. We like to be the favorite, and we like to be the favorite because, right? It's a sin problem that we have. And listen, it goes back to the garden. It was Adam and Eve's issue in the garden. It's this idea that everything is about me and that I am the most important person that exists. And when we think that everything is about us and that we are the most important person that exists and that we're the favored and everybody else is less than, then what happens is even though we would never articulate it in that way, we would never articulate it in that way, we start to create this whole system where I get what I want and everybody else gets less. Where I get what I feel like I need and if I don't like them, they get Less. and So here's the deal. This is how it comes down with Jonah. Every single one of us has this tendency to want to experience the grace of God while at the same time, at the exact same time. See, it's, it's sick. It's sick. And it's mirror time because maybe this is you. And I know for sure it's me at times. We want to experience the grace of God. I want all of the good things that God has for me. And at the very same time that I want to experience the grace of God, I want him to withhold it from people I don't like. I don't want other people to have as much as I get because I because I don't like them because they're not like me. But there's there's a problem here and there's a disconnect and, and this is something that we need to know and it's it's something that the, your leaders have been talking about for a while we um, for for a little bit this idea of grace and flows and and this this statement is is relatively new to us but this idea that. Um, that we should be conduits rather than containers. And I was thinking about that. And you know what, though? I'm guilty of this. I try to be a container of God's grace. I try to collect it. I try to have it. I try to revel in it. I try to swim in it. I try, I mean, I want so much of it that I could gargle in it if I wanted to. I want so much of God's grace. But I don't want to let it flow through me necessarily. I mean, I do if I like you. If I like you, I want it to flow through me. If you look like me, right, if you believe the same things I believe, if you've never hurt me, if you're, if you're, if you're in the same political party that I am, right, if, if we have the same socioeconomic background, right, I mean, if those things all line up, then yeah, great, I want you to have God's grace, but if something is off, then what we do as Christians is we tend to try to start to restrict the grace of God, and that's what Jonah was doing, and that's why it all falls apart, and that's why it can't be. And so we've got to deal. We've got to deal with what God requires from his grace. And Christian, if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is not so that you can hog it to yourself, and it is not so that you can play favorites and decide who gets it. It is simply so that you can be a conduit for it. And when I say grace, I'm talking everything. Everything. I'm talking the financial blessings that you have, the relational blessings that you have, the emotional capacity that you have, the ability to forgive like you've been forgiven, the ability to show mercy where you've been shown mercy. All of that is to flow through you. And if you are refusing to let that flow through you, then you are acting like a container, not a conduit. Basically, you are being Jonah. And when we read Jonah, we understand that God did not favor his decisions or his behavior Let's go. Let's get into this. We're going to finish up the book today, uh, and then we'll have some other things to do that relate to this next week, but we're going to finish up the text. Jonah four one. you You'll remember when Vince preached last week. By the way, Vince did a great job. Um, I love it when Vince preaches because, well, um, one, it gives me a week off. Two, I like to hear his perspective. I love to see his growth in the pulpit. Um, but two, um, it's just nice to, it's just nice to be able to listen without trying to evaluate myself all the time. I can evaluate him. That's even better. Um, but, but Vince ended, uh, the message last week and, and the text ended at this point, And this was simply the point that God gave Nineveh, they didn't even know they had it, but God gave them 40 days. That was the message was, look, you are evil and you are wicked. And I am going to bring calamity and destruction on you because of your evilness and your wickedness. And I'm going to do that in 40 days. That was the message. But, but Jonah knew the heart of God was not to bring destruction and calamity. The heart of God was to allow repentance. And the Ninevites responded, right? I mean, from, from greatest, from the king to the poorest, the beggars on the street, they responded with repentance. Remember, we said repentance is real. Repentance is when I admit that I was wrong and I actively choose to turn from my wrongness. And they responded with repentance. And because they responded with repentance, God did what Jonah knew God was going to do, and he relented. Because God is never out to hurt you. God is out to grow you. And so when they repented and when they grew, they went from where they were and what was wrong to where they should be and how they should be. God said, okay, my work is different then. I, I almost said my work is done. Our work is never done, but my work is different. I don't have to bring calamity. Now I can, I can encourage them and help them grow in these other ways, and that's what happened, but Jonah hated that, and so the change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very Angry. And what's interesting about this text in Jonah, what's interesting about verse one in Jonah is that idea for he became angry and he was greatly upset is not that he was irritated. Listen to me. I get irritated. Aubrey, stop nodding. That's Bush League, kid. I'm right here. I get irritated. I get frustrated. You get irritated. You get frustrated. But this is mirror time. Look in the mirror. You can look at me, but think about the mirror. How many of you get like this when God decides to show grace and mercy? What happens is this. Jonah isn't irritated at God. Jonah calls God's behavior. In the original Hebrew, we would understand this very well. Jonah is calling God evil. The change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became angry. And, and, and the connotation there is that Jonah felt like, by offering grace to the Ninevites, Jonah felt like God was doing evil. Jonah felt like God was doing evil because this is what it came down to. You can't do good for people that I hate. Because if you do good for people that I hate, that's wrong. And Jonah thinks he's God's favorite, and he thinks he's got it all worked out. See, we do this too, right? We're like, oh, everybody's welcome at church. Everybody's welcome at church. And we say, everybody's welcome at church. And we, we do. We sincerely mean it. We want everybody to come into church. Here's the idea we have, though, and, and, and you can think about the mirror here. Here's the idea we have. Here's, here's what we think. We think everybody's welcome at church, but when they really get it, when they really understand it, they're going to start to look like me. They're going to start, start to talk like I do. They're going to start to pray like I do. They're going to start to use the words like I do. They may even start to dress like I do. They, they, may even, they may even start to listen to the music that I like to listen to. Like somehow I think that I am the picture of holiness. And when people walk through the door of the church, I understand that they may not be where I am. But it's so sick because what I think is when they engage with the gospel of grace, eventually if God's merciful and if they follow, they'll get to be where I am. And you know, some of you have that in your heart. That's why the music drives you nuts. That's why the dress drives you nuts. That's why, but we have got to let go of this. Jonah would not let go of it. You're going to see in the text today that he never lets go of it and it ruins him, It ruins him. We have got to let go of this. You and I are not the epitome of what it means to be Christian. What we like and what we don't like is not the epitome of what it means to be Christian. How we dress and don't dress, what we do, um, where we come from, we've got to deal with this. Let's let's keep going here. I'm, you're going to find me getting on soapboxes a lot today, and I apologize for that, but, but it's the thing that we need to understand, um, is that when we look in the mirror, when I look in the mirror, as I prepared this week, that I I feel condemned and convicted. I'm free from condemnation because the Spirit of God is in me and forgives me, but I feel convicted because I think there are times where I think, well, you know what? I know what's best for everybody, and if they would just act like me, then they'll be great. And I think, well, I'm a pastor, so I must be God's favorite or one of them. I mean, I know there's other pastors, and I don't want to say I'm better than them, so I won't. But ultimately, guys, this is, this is, it's a sick game that we play. And you know who's playing, you know who's playing us? It's Satan. Satan is playing us here. And, and there's so much for us to glean from this text. Okay. And so Jonah says, God, what you're doing is evil and wicked. I can't believe that you changed your mind. They upset the plans that God had, upset Jonah greatly. And in this, Jonah actually condemns himself. If you've ever been angry at the idea of demonstrating grace to people different from you, an ex that really hurt you, a parent that that abused you, an employer who made a pass, a kid who made a mistake that you can't even possibly begin to fathom how they made that mistake. I mean, if you can't offer grace and forgiveness to these folks, and if you can't celebrate when they repent and when they turn from wickedness, then you're on the wrong side. We talked about this in the AHA series, but look, this is, this is Jesus explaining, look, there is so much joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents when even one sinner repents, there is so much joy in the presence of God's angels. And here we find out that Jonah's heart is so hard that he can't even have joy over a sinner repenting, much less what we're going to find out at the end of this text, that there's, there's 120,000 of them 120,000 of them that have turned from their sin, they have embraced God, and they are trying to walk with God. They are trying to turn from their old way and live in a new way because of the grace of God. And the word tells us that there is when one of them repents, that there are angels in heaven that are having a party. Can you imagine what happened when 120,000 of them repented? I mean, that is an all-night rager. Raise your hand. No. No in your head. Raise your hand if you've been to an all-night rager. You know what I'm talking about. I said, in your head, in your head, man. That's what happened, right? There was a party that was unparalleled, and Jonah thinks it's evil. We keep going. So he complained to the Lord about it. He said, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Oh, by the way, we get clued into something here. So so Jonah and God have actually had this conversation before. We don't read that in Jonah 1. We just read that the the message of the Lord came to Jonah to go to Nineveh and do this, and Jonah gets up and he goes the other direction. We would have assumed that he and God had some conversation, but now Jonah lets us know for sure that's what happened. He says, um, he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this? Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this? Sounds like a fight that I have all the time. You too, probably. Didn't I say this is exactly what was going to happen? Didn't I tell you this is how you would act? The way I, well, That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. I want you to really understand what, just, what, what Jonah is saying here. He's saying, God, I know that you are a compassionate God and you are slow to anger and you are filled with unfailing love and you are eager to turn back from destroying people. And I hate it because it's not about me and it's about people I don't like. See, what, what God calls us to do is be heartbroken for those that are lost. God calls us literally to be heartbroken for those that are lost. And, and, and so mirror time, I should stand over here because that's where my mirror is. How heartbroken are you for people that are lost? Can I be honest with you? When I get hurt, I feel it. When I'm wronged, I feel it when somebody does something that puts pressure on me, I feel it. I am burdened by it. It keeps me up at night. It wakes me up in the morning. It wrecks my day. It ruins my week. When somebody wrongs me, when something happens and I don't like it, I am burdened beyond belief. People going to hell? I mean, I don't like it, maybe, but doesn't wreck me. And when was the last time you stayed awake at night and you wept over somebody that you know and that you care about that's gone to hell? I mean, if hell is real, by the way, if you're visiting today, we have a very clear stance on hell, it's real. So, I mean, just know that for for part of our conversation. And and if hell is real, and there are people that don't know and love and follow Jesus, there are people that are going to hell. And when I'm wronged, I weep, and I burn over the wrong that's done to me. But people that don't know Jesus, people that are destined for hell, eh, I don't want to be inconvenienced by that. I mean, I'll acknowledge it. I'll know that it's true. I don't know that I'm going to go out of my way to do anything about it. And that's the heart of Jonah. And guys, that's sick. It's twisted, it's broken, it's wrong. But Jonah knows this. He says, man, didn't I know that you are a compassionate, merciful, loving, slow to anger, generous in mercy. I knew that you were that kind of guy. And because it's not for me, I hate it. It's not okay. It's not okay for Jonah. And listen, we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we just read through this and said, hey, don't be like that. And we didn't stop and we didn't reflect. We, uh, we need to get the point. It is far too easy for you to get bitter. See, Jonah gets bitter. That's what this is, right? He's like, I want those people to burn in hell. I want those people to burn in hell because I don't like them and they've wronged me and they've wronged my people and they're going to continue to wrong me and they're going to continue to wrong my people. I mean, you get that, right? The Ninevites, that's, that is soon to be the capital nation of the Assyrian empire. The Assyrian empire is in about 70 years from this moment in history is going to wipe out Jonah's people, or at least try to wipe out Jonah's people. Jonah knows that he's not stupid. Jonah knows the landscape. He knows what's happening in the world. He knows what's going on. He says, they, they have wronged me and they are gonna to continue to wrong me and I refuse God to be part of anything that does good for them or that brings good to them. I don't want it at all. He is angry and because that anger is left unchecked, it turns to bitterness. Some of you here today are angry and you have a right to be angry. Not all of you, but you can look in the mirror and you can decide if that's you. Some of you are angry and listen, you have a right to be angry you got a right to be angry, but I'm going to tell you, there is nothing good that comes there. There's nothing good comes from it. There is nothing good that lives there. You have a right to be angry. You are technically correct. You have a right to be angry. But anger, anger that's left unchecked, anger that doesn't end up in forgiveness, it ferments, and it grows into bitterness. And while you may have a right to be angry, bitterness is the tool of the devil. And it can't work. It can't make anything better. And if you are bitter, I promise you it's not gonna end well. See, bitterness kills. Bitterness spoils. Bitterness ruins. Bitterness tears apart and it drives wedges bitterness doesn't do you any good. You know what bitterness does? Bitterness ruins you. And it's an avenue of the enemy. That's why Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, and don't let sin, um, don't sin, sorry, by letting anger control you. See, it doesn't say don't be angry because angry is not sin. Some of you have a right to be angry. You have a right to be angry. You were hurt, you were wronged. You know, you're never going to get me to look at you and say that somebody that actively hurt you was wrong, or uh, was not wrong, and that you shouldn't be angry about it. It's okay to be angry when somebody actively hurts you. It's okay. But what you have to do is you have to deal with that anger. The anger is not wrong. But what you do with it is so critical and so key because what happens is when you just let the anger fester and ferment, and you know what the, the fermentation process is. Some of you know what the fermentation process is because you just know, right? We know that. Some of you know what the fermentation process is. Some of you probably do it in your basement. Um, it's okay. I got friends that do the homebrew thing. It's not, you're like, oh no, it's okay. It's all right. Right? I'm just saying, you know what it's like when it, when it ferments, it, it mutates. It changes. It changes. See, that's what happens with anger. When you have anger, it might be right to be angry, but when you harbor it and you hold on to it and you refuse to let it go, what happens is it ferments, it changes, it mutates, it becomes something different. And all of a sudden, the anger that you had a right to feel has become bitterness that you have no right to feel because bitterness is sin. And you don't get to choose righteously to live in sin. There is no such thing as righteous sin. And some of you have lived there for too long and some of you are dabbling in it now and I get it, right? Mirror time. Listen, But you gotta let that go because there is nothing good that happens when you play in bitterness. It ruins, it kills, it sours, it spoils, it rips apart. You know what it doesn't do though? You know what it can't do? You know what it will never do because it's of the devil? It never makes it better. Bitterness cannot ever make it better. It'll feel better for a second. And then it will rip you apart in the end. And and, and here's here's the other thing about this. You know, the only people that bitterness hurts, the only people that bitterness hurts um, are the people that harbor it. It doesn't hurt the people that have hurt you or if it does hurt them, maybe that's not true. Let me, let me tell you this. If bitterness hurts the people that hurt you, it's because the people that hurt you love you. And so all you're doing is dishing back hurt to somebody who is trying to love you. And if they don't love you, then the bitterness doesn't matter to them. And it's something you carry on your own. So there is no way it gets better when you get bitter. There's no way. We've got to let that go. That's, that's what Jonah's dealing with, though. That's what Jonah's dealing with, and his theology is terrible. Look at this. He says, I know, God, you're merciful, compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying your people. Jonah has right theology about God, but his attitude about God is all wrong. What he's basically saying is this. He's basically saying, God, be patient with me. Be merciful with me. Be forgiving towards me. Relent for me, but since I hate them and have something against them, get them. And it's not all right. If we've got God's character, if we have God's character, if we are truly Christians and the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we have the character of God that lives in us. And sometimes it's weak and sometimes it needs to be more nurtured, but the character of God lives in us. And if the character of God is in us, then we are never out to get. We are always out for repentance. And some of your hearts, some of my hearts, some of your hearts are so far away from repentance, it's ridiculous. We're so worried about something else, and it's not this. We keep going. We got to keep going. We'll never get done. My goodness, we've got 11 verses to get through. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. Some of you just panicked. We'll be okay. Bitterness is starting to well up in your heart a little bit. Look in the mirror. Check your heart. We're going to be okay. This is what he says. He says, just kill me now. This is Jonah. He is so bitter. He is so far gone. He says, just kill me Kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive to have to deal with this. You ever feel that way? I tell you, be careful. It's a terrible place to be. And then God says this, and I never would have picked up on this, but I'll give credit to Pastor Eric Mason. Uh, maybe you're familiar with him, maybe not, but, but uh, he pointed out in, in a sermon, and, and I remember hearing just randomly um, that this is, this is a compassionate question. This is a tender question. See, God's going to ask Jonah, hey, is it right for you to be angry about this? See, Jonah is so bitter and so upset, and God is just going to check on Jonah's heart, and he's going to ask this very tender question. And the tender question is this, is it right for you to be angry? And I love the question, is it right for you to be angry? Because it's, it's asked in love. It's not asked in um, the way that we might typically read it. And and I think there's a problem with my heart. So this is mere time for me. There's a problem with my heart because when I would have read that, I would have read that as God just correcting and spanking Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Buck up, knock it off. But this is a tender question. Is it right for you to be angry? And God is asking Jonah to think about this. Think about where you've been. Think about what you've been through. Think about who you've been. Think about the mistakes that you've made. Think about all the grace, compassion, and mercy that I have poured out on you, Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry that I want to do it for somebody else or that I ask you to do it for somebody else? And the answer, of course, is no. See, if we answer that question right, with whatever we're being bitter towards, whatever we're harboring in our heart, the question of "Is it right for you to be angry about this?" It's a genuine, tender question that God asks. And if you answer it right, it can free you. If you answer it right, it can free you. I can be honest with you and tell you that I've been in a position where I've 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 had to read that question in this text: "Is it right for you to be angry?" And I've had to honestly say, God, no, it's not right for me to be angry. And with that comes freedom. But if you dig in and you say, yes, it's right for me to be angry, so angry that I would rather die, it condemns you. See, the question, is it right for you to be angry? And I'm asking you now, so you're like, man, if you hadn't asked, that would have been better. But I'm asking, whatever bitterness you're holding on to, is it right for you to be angry in light of what God's done for you and how he has blessed you and what he has brought into your life? Is it right for you to be angry that God asks you to forgive? Is it right for you to be angry that God asks you to relent from your anger? Is it right for you to be angry at God that he asks you to bless with mercy and grace people that don't deserve mercy and grace. I mean, I'm no fool. I know what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to give blessing where blessing isn't due. I'm asking you to give mercy where mercy isn't earned. I'm asking you to give grace where grace shouldn't necessarily naturally be found. Of course I am, because that's what God did for you. And God says, I did that for you. Is it right for you to be angry that I ask you to pass it on and be a conduit instead of a container? And if you answer it right, it frees you to live different. It frees you to think different. If you answer it wrong, though, it condemns you. Because if they're not worthy of it, neither are you. If they're not worthy of it, then, then you can't be either. And so what God does when he asks a question like that is he's exposing the root of your heart. See, what happens in church a lot of times is, uh, not in this church because we don't ever talk, uh, Lowell does it occasionally. Where's Lowell at? Lowell will amen me. Amen. That's right. So I know Lowell's with me. Um, and, some, and by the way, it's okay if you say amen. Like, you're like, man, I, thank you. Um, you're, basically, when you say amen, I, I know two things are happening. One is I know you're awake. Um, and I know two, I at least kind of agree with what he's saying. Um, whatever. So, so we may go there. We may walk away and we may think, wow, well, okay, man, there was, there was some conviction there. Boy, yep, I got to think about that. I got to think about it. But God doesn't want you to think about it. God doesn't want you to agree with it. God wants to expose your heart at the root. Because it's not until we can look at the root of our hearts that we can start to deal with the bitterness that's crept in and we can start to deal with what's wrong. And I got news for you. Our hearts are not awesome. Look at this. Jeremiah 17 9 says this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and it is desperately wicked. And who really knows how bad it is? Our hearts are wrong. See, some of us, we hate the idea that our hearts are wicked and deceitful, but I don't get to to tell God that he got it wrong in scripture. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It is desperately wicked Who really knows how bad it is? And so what happens is when God does a work in our life um, and he asks a question like he asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? What's happening is he's exposing the root of your heart so you can see what it is. You can look in the mirror and you can see what's at the root of your heart. And at the root of your heart, it is deceitful and wicked. It is bad. And there is only one cure for that and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you are harboring something right now, you're not just going to get over that unless you can dig into what Jesus is doing and what he wants to do. That's the only way this works. He asked, is it right for you to be angry? He asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? If you answer it right, it frees you. No, it's not right for me to be angry because God, I am broken and I am messy and I am trash and I am wicked and I have messed it up so many times. I'm so jacked up, it's not even funny, but you have given me grace and mercy and of course it's not right for me to be angry that you've asked me to give it to somebody else. You gave it to me when I didn't deserve it. Romans tells us that, that, that God loved us and he died for us. while well, we were all enemies of God. And so now, God, you're saying you've loved me and you've given me grace when I was your enemy and you say, pass it on to somebody else who's currently acting like my enemy. And you know what? It's weird, but it's freeing because that's what God is asking you to do. And God doesn't ask you to do things that bind you in chains. God asks you to do things that will set you free. It doesn't make any human sense and I get it. But you cannot miss the point the way Jonah missed the point. we got to finish because we'll never get done, and we've got a few verses left to get to. Um, But what happens is now we get the saddest ending um, possible to Jonah's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad mission trip. God asks him, is it right for you to be angry? Right up until this point, God was asking him, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? He's putting on Jonah's heart. He's waiting for Jonah to decide. And so far it hasn't happened. And we get to Jonah 5. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to sit as he waited to see what would happen to the city. See, Jonah, his heart's betrayed here a little bit. He's still not convinced that they've changed or he's still not convinced that God's not going to bring calamity on them. So he sits and he waits, and it's a terribly hot, awful day. And so here's what happens. He, oh, it, by the way, uh, it, it says he made a shelter. He, he kind of made this little, um, probably this, this little hanky kind of thing that he could sit under and try to get out of the sun, right? I mean, he's in a desert, right, to try to get out of the sun. Um, and here's what happened in, in verse 6, something miraculous for Jonah's benefit. And Jonah knows that it's miraculous, and Jonah knows that it's just for benefit. And, and it reminds him, oh, yeah, wait a minute, I'm God's favorite. The Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and as soon as it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun, this eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Jonah was grateful. The word grateful there in the original context tells us that Jonah understands this to be a miraculous thing. Plants don't spring up overnight. They certainly don't do it in the desert overnight, and they don't get so big that they shade you overnight. This happens It's real. I know it sounds fanciful, but it's real. And God knows that it happened. And so God says, okay, I am highly favored by God. I am his favorite. Things are back to normal. And God does these things, but you know what? God does these things because he loves us and he'll never stop loving us. I mean, get that. Um, We revel in the idea uh, that God will change our hearts. See, he does these things. He gives us these miraculous signs. We say, okay, now my heart can be aligned with God because he's done this great thing. And we revel in that. We love that idea. But we hate this next part. See, Christians really don't understand. And oftentimes we get this disconnect. God does something in our heart, but we don't want it to fix our attitude. And some of you, some of me, all of me, and some of you, are really guilty of this. Like, I want God to change my heart. I want to be a new creation. I want to be free. I want to experience grace. I want to feel better. I want everything to flow in me the way it's supposed to. I just want it. But I don't want to do anything different. I don't want to change the way I live. I don't want to treat people different. I don't want to love people any better. I just want what I want. I want all of the blessing and none of the change. But here's the deal. The ugly truth is, if it doesn't change your attitude, then it's not real change. Because the attitude tells the truth about the heart. And you can tell me that you forgive, and you can tell me that you're, that you're in line with God's will, and you can tell me all of those things. But if your attitude has never changed, then that's telling the truth about what's in your heart. And and eventually, what happens is, if you're not careful, you're gonna harden your heart. Watch this. But God also, I mean, he, He arranged this nice thing, but God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, it's a big worm, I think. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. As the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he explained. So, so we get this picture that, that God does this thing so that Jonah's heart can change. It's another opportunity for Jonah's heart to change, but if his heart's going to change, his attitude better come along, because if his attitude doesn't come along, then that tells the truth that his heart hasn't really changed, okay? Uh, and he says, but but death would certainly be better than living like this. And then Oh my goodness. Yep. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes. Jonah responded, even angry enough to die. It's the same question. It's the same question. Is it right for you to be angry that all of Nineveh is going to be saved from hell? Is it right for you to be angry that this plant got eaten by a worm? And Jonah flips out, yes, it's right for me to be angry because nothing good should happen to people that I don't like. And everything good should happen to me. I deserve everything. They deserve nothing. And it's this weird, sick disconnect where he is so close to the grace of God and he is missing all of the grace of God because his heart is wrong and bitter and deceitful and angry and he doesn't allow the exposed route to get looked at. He doesn't allow himself to look at it. He is more concerned with his temporary comfort than he is with the eternal comfort of a hundred thousand people. Because he's angry and he's bitter. And then it ends, the text, oh my goodness, sorry guys. I got fat fingers today. Actually, I have them every day, but they only matter on Sundays. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came up quickly and it died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And I would love to give you a happy ending, but that's the final word of the book of Jonah. And as far as we know, that is the final word. That Jonah has prophetically. I would venture to say that Jonah's career, unless something radical happens that we have no reason to expect that it happens based on what we know, I would venture to say that Jonah's career as a prophet of God is over at this point. And the reason I would say that Jonah's career as a prophet of God is over at this point is because Jonah has effectively hardened his heart. Christian, listen to me. There is a point in time where if you are not careful, when you continue to harbor wrong, that you run the risk of hardening your heart to the point where it almost becomes impenetrable. I'm not saying that God will ever stop pursuing you. God will always pursue you. But we see in scripture, we read in scripture, Um, God talks about it in scripture, the warning, the danger about hardening your heart against the things of God. Because as you harden your heart, you steel yourself against the grace of God that wants to get in. And that's, I'm convinced that's what happened to Jonah. That God kept asking tenderly, do you have a right to be angry? Think about where you've come from. Think about what I've done for you. Think about what I've poured out for you. Do you have a right to be angry? And Jonah kept saying, yes, yes, even so much so that I could die. And ultimately, I think Jonah hardens his heart to the point where he stops even having this conversation with God and he stops listening to the grace of God and he stops being influenced by the grace of God and ultimately he wanders away. I don't know that. I mean, I wasn't there but I don't have anything else from Jonah. There's nothing else in recorded history. There's nothing else in tradition that tells us about anything else about Jonah. It doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be me. We went through this whole text so that we could get it, so that we could understand. Listen. Because Christ is in me, and if you're a Christian here today, Christ is in you. Then you need to be known less for what and who you're against and more for what and who you're for. This is my admonition to you as we, as we close this text. We're actually going to finish one more week in this series, but we'll be outside of Jonah next week as we have one more week. So as the story comes to a close, I'm just gonna encourage you this. You as a Christian, if you are here and you are a Christ follower, that means that you have dedicated your life to following Christ, you must let go of bitterness and you must be known for what you're for and who you're for, not what and who you're against. It's gotta ooze from you. You are for Christ. You are for grace. I am for Christ. I am for grace. I am for forgiveness. I am for restoration. I am for repentance. I am for saving people from hell. I am from all of that thing. I am for all of it. And you, Christian, need to be as well. And in case you think, oh, Matt's being weird again. No, 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 Matt's not being weird again. Right? I'm not saying that you just accept everything and that you never say anything is wrong and that you don't ever acknowledge sin. No, no, no. I'm not saying that at all. Acknowledge sinfulness. Acknowledge your anger. Acknowledge your hurt. Acknowledge where people have gone astray. Truth and love are not in conflict. Truth and love are in concert. Truth and love don't combat each other. They flow together. They are in concert. Why? Because it, it is truth for me to say, listen, The grace of God is for you, and the grace of God is found in surrendering to Jesus. And surrendering to Jesus ultimately means you say no to yourself, and you say yes to him. Truth and grace are not in conflict. Truth and love are not in conflict. Truth without love, though, some of us are really good at that. That's when we shout what we're against. We're saying true things. We don't want anybody to not know the truth, so we yell true. We yell true all the time. We yell true at the top of our lungs, and that brings condemnation but when truth and love come together, that's compassion. That's the hope of the God of the universe. It is the hope that saves lives. It is the hope that keeps people from hell. It is the hope. When truth and love come together, listen to me, angry, bitter person, and you too. When truth and love come together, that is the only opportunity to help lead someone to repentance. That's all you've got. You want to lead somebody to repentance? You want to keep somebody out of hell? You want somebody's life to change and reflect the glory of God? All you have, the only thing you have at your disposal, is truth with love. Because the two of those together, that's compassion. And it can lead to repentance, and it can lead to restoration, and it can lead to a lot of things. And so as we close our series, at least this part of it, uh, I'm going to tell you this. Um, the, the reason that you're asked to do this when God says, is it right for you to be angry? Ask the praise team. No, we want us the praise team to come up. We'll ask the ushers to come forward. That's what I meant. Um, um, the reason that we're asked to do this is simply this. Look at this here. This is Jesus telling a story. He says, I tell you, her sins, talking about the prostitute, the prostitute who dared show him brokenness and the judgmental Pharisees who were against her And didn't want to offer her anything but bitterness. Said, how dare you let her touch you? And Jesus said, listen to me. Listen to me. Get this. Her sins, though there are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only a little. And that's not about a person who needs to be forgiven just a little. Because none of us need to be forgiven just a little. All of us need to be forgiven like crazy. We all need to be forgiven everything. So he says... If you've been forgiven just a little, which means you won't even acknowledge the depths of your brokenness, that's the question God asks when He says, Do you have a right to be angry? No, you don't have a right to be angry because you haven't been forgiven a little. You've been forgiven much. And if you've been forgiven much, then guess what? You forgive much, you love much. There you go. He's with me. Right? If you listen, some of you, I know it's so awkward and uncomfortable. You're like, I've never talked in church. And when you were little, when you did talk in church, you got elbowed by your grandma. Right? (laughs) It's okay. Here's the thing. We have all been forgiven much, and when you have been forgiven much, you love much. Jonah never got it. We can't miss it. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for the offering. Um, And I'm going to pray as we close this portion of the service. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to reflect and I'm going to ask you to think. Okay? If there is bitterness in your heart, then I'm going to play the role of God here. And I know that's a dangerous game to play. And I'm going to ask you, is it really right for you to be angry still? Still? Or is Satan having his way with you? Because when you hold on and play with anger, you're picking him. That's what it comes down to. You're picking him. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Jonah. It is not an uplifting story. It's a tragic story about someone who flirted with your grace and experienced it only to throw it away. Father, the story of Jonah is a tragic story about someone who struggled to let go and who inadvertently allowed Satan footholds and strongholds in his heart. And when you did as any loving father would do, you exposed the root of the problem. You exposed his heart and you asked him to look at it. You asked him the simple question, Father, he refused to look and he refused to admit and he refused to repent. Father, don't let that be true for us. My prayer here this morning is for anyone, anyone that's confused, anyone that's hurt, that they would trust and revel in your grace And they would let go of the pain. Forgiveness doesn't mean we act like nothing ever happened. Truth needs to happen, but so does love. And so does grace. Father, help us to let go of the things that hurt. Help us to understand that that your love frees us from all of that. And that we have been forgiven. Jesus faced his enemies, and he did not hate them. He loved them to the point of death on the cross, and you've called us to be like Jesus. Help us to do better. Help us to not miss the point. Help us to grow in that grace. Change our hearts where there need to be changed. God, if there are people here that are struggling and they're even angry about a message like this because it it, it puts to the surface the fact that they are bitter and angry and upset, God, I just pray that you'll deal with that in their hearts, that, that, that you'll ask them the question and they'll hear their own answer and they'll look at the root of their heart and they'll know that the only answer for a stubborn and deceitful heart is a heart transplant that comes through the grace of Jesus and you are willing to give it if we would just ask and follow. God, it is my heart's prayer that we will all respond to you. Amen.